Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. I am Brian Higgins. And I am Aaron Salvato. And today we are going to be looking at some questions. Throughout our time of putting out podcasts, we've gotten a bunch of different questions from listeners through Instagram and other social media platforms. And first of all, we are so grateful that you would take the time to send some questions in. Yes, thank you so much, guys. It means a lot that you guys care enough to ask us things and also that you assume that we know things. That's uh, that's amazing. It's also good to know that there are actually people that are listening to yeah. this because we just kind of put this out into the world and then don't really know what happens next. Right. So getting some kind of response is a, a very encouraging reminder that maybe this isn't all for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. It, thank you for helping us know our lives are worthless. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Aaron, you've put together a lot of these questions for today. Yeah, these are ones that uh, people have sent to me on Instagram in response to different things we've done on Good Lion. And so we're going to be doing what is called a mailbag episode. I don't literally have With, a mailbag. Without bag. actual yeah. mail. And, but, yeah, there's no no letters were no bags in the making of this episode. No bags involved. It's just stayed. I, I don't have a bag anywhere in the room that I'm in. Right I don't now. own a bag. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, I actually lied. My backpack is in this room. I, I, I have three backpacks in this room. Wow. Yeah. So, so stop sending us questions immediately because we're liars. Yeah. And we don't deserve them. Well, and um, so, but we'll go through these. On that note, uh, I think it's important too to say that we are not uh, experts on anything. Um, we were both, <laughs> what? <laughs> Just love way to completely undermine the rest of this episode. We know nothing. Please stick around for the next 45 minutes. Hopefully, if you've been listening to this podcast, you appreciate our perspectives. We're we're two guys who love Jesus and we love and know nothing. Yeah, we know nothing except apparently humility or self-deprecation, maybe one of those. Mm, we'll work on it. We'll get one of those down. We're, t- we're two guys who love the Lord and we love asking questions. We love thinking deeply about things. And so, I mean, I don't know if this was your case, Brian, but in youth ministry, when you were a youth pastor, did you do a lot of Q&A? Yeah, when I was a youth pastor, we would do Q&A probably once every two months, yeah. something like that. And I always felt like Q&A was my most favorite teaching time yeah, because I would put together teachings that I was interested in or that I thought would be applicable to the students, but I would always be wondering do they care about what I'm saying right now? Like, is this hitting them uh, on a level where they're interested? And with Q&A, I always knew that at least one person <laughs> at any given time. At least the questioner would, was at, interested. At least the, hopefully, if they were still paying attention, at least the questioner was getting something that directly related <laughs> to something in their life. Uh, so not, I, I've always enjoyed being able to to kind of teach in this fashion. I'm not going to lie. There, there were definitely times when I did middle school ministry where a kid would ask a question and then immediately get distracted as I started answering it. So ho- mm-hmm. hopefully that's not the case with you listeners. Um, I don't know what you're doing while you listen to podcasts, but uh, hopefully you're dialed in because yeah, we love Q and a, uh, and I think it's important to just reference the fact that we are, we don't necessarily know everything and we're not going to be able to always have the perfect answer, but we'll definitely give a response. And what I always say is if there's ever a time where someone sends a question and I don't know the answer to it, I'm, I'm not going to fake it and give you some fake answer that, you know, for me, isn't coming from a place of truth or knowledge. I'm I'll say, Hey, you know what? I don't know enough about that yet. So I'm going to go steady and then we'll put it on another episode. So yeah, that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. And even, I think there's such value in having your question answered by someone else saying that's a difficult question and I'm still wrestling with it too. And so maybe we won't be able to provide an answer that gives you a path forward or something like that, but we can at least provide you with some solace and some perspective. And um, I don't know, for me, when I have questions, the first thing I need to know is that I'm not the broken one and I'm not the only one who can't figure this thing out. Right. Um, So so if we can just be that for you, then we're happy to do that too. Yes. Okay. So should we start jumping into questions? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. So here is our first question. 
question. Here we go. The questioner wrote in and said, how can a Christian be set apart from the world? And then they defined the world as music, drugs, sex, and politics. <laughs> All right. Well, what do you what do you think, yeah. Brian? How can we be set apart from the world? How can we live our lives completely set apart from the horrors of drugs, sex, music, and politics? Um, I would begin by saying we could move to one of the variety of planets that are near us. Wow. So that we are no longer on the world. I was just going to suggest like joining Easy. a monastery or a convent, but you you mm -hmm. went like really <laughs> straight to another planet. That's uh, I was really focused on the two words, the world, oh, in my answer. I was just responding that to is that part. probably the most literal answer. How can Christian be set apart from this world? Easy. Just don't be Go on to another one. Go somewhere Go to else. Mars. Yeah. God gave us plenty of a planets. A whole new Let's world. Figure out how to use them too. Wow. Okay. So. Were you going to start singing a whole no, new world? No, I would never do that. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I thought you like, you did a breath <laughs> and like you were about to start singing and I was, I was, I was here for oh, it. Oh, wow. Man. I was so ready. Um, okay. So th obviously this person is not saying, hopefully, how can I be completely set apart from, you know, like music, for instance, they're probably thinking, Definitely. how can I be set apart from music that stumbles me or hurts my walk with the Lord? And then drugs, Tylenol, I'm guessing probably isn't the issue. It's maybe, maybe like meth or something like that. Um, and then sex, um, we're talking about, um, a broken sexuality, not covenant married partnership sex. And then politics, I wonder what they're getting at with that. Yeah, I have some thoughts on these. Um, a few of them, I think there are clear there are clear paths forward that are given in Scripture, and then it's just the difficulty of actually living them out. Um, I think the the Bible's sexual ethic is is pretty straightforward and and pretty clear. Um, the idea that sex is something that God designs for marriage that. Uh, engaging in it beforehand is um, damaging to yourself, damaging to the other person, uh, an untrue representation of the way that God relates with people. Um, so, so in that one, I, I think the real heart of the question isn't what should I do to be set apart from the world sexually, but rather it is difficult to be set apart sexually from the world, given that uh, I'm I'm assuming this is if they're listening to us. I know we both are living in you know American culture, and it's a very highly sexualized culture. So, um, in in that one particularly, I think it's more about how do I find the strength to do that, and how do I do that in a way that is appealing to the world. Thinking back to Israel's original call, they were supposed to live with God in a way that made the rest of the nations jealous. Right. Um, so how can our how can we derive the strength to live sexual purity and even living separately from drugs? I think that's an, another relatively straightforward one. I well, think let, wait, let, let's is, maybe like just take these one by one. So let's okay. let's focus on the sex one for now. I'm going to get like really practical. Uh, I'm going to like, let's pretend I'm a, a kid in your youth group and I'm asking my pastor, Pastor Brian. Um, Brian, okay. I understand that as a Christian, I am called to be set apart when it comes to sex and sex is not a bad thing. I'll get married one day and it'll be great and awesome and holy. But for now, when I go to school, my friends have porn on their phones and they're always trying to show it to me. And there are girls in my class who are into me and they're suggesting that maybe they'd like to do something sexual with me. This was definitely not my problem, by the way, in high school or middle school. <laughs> there was no, <laughs> but it could be it someone absolutely else. absolutely is. A, it is. Yeah, someone else's, there yes. are kids out there that this is a struggle for them, apparently. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's a real question. And I mean, I even know guys um, now that I'm out of youth ministry currently and working more with young adults and college students where they tell me the same thing. Like the temptation is there. There's porn always available and there are girls at college and at the gym and for the ladies listening it's probably the same in reverse there's guys out there who are willing and able to participate in sexual conduct that is uh not not blessed by the lord so how do you be set apart from that like what what's the strategy practically yeah one of the verses that i go back to a lot is in um 
Song of Solomon, and I believe it's chapter 2, verse 15. I'm not totally sure on that, Um, but it talks about the idea of catch for us the little foxes that spoil the vine. Um, A lot of times what we can do is we'll say, um, as long as I'm not actually committing a sinful action, quote unquote, all of the thought processes that lead up to it are fine. So I can go to the gym and look at that girl as long as I don't do anything with her. What's the the verse again? Say that again. I I think it's Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15. I'm not totally sure. But it says, it says, catch for us the, the little foxes that spoil. So the there's vine. this idea and of like a vineyard and then the foxes are running through the vineyard and they seem little and cute and harmless, but they're actually destroying the vines. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. So, so the image is the vineyard is the love that these two people are building and, and a strength of it, it's an image for their oh, relationship. Yeah. And the idea is that they want the vineyard to be as as fruitful and as bountiful and as beautiful as possible. Mm. And there are these little foxes that come oh, in. Yeah. Um, and, and normally when you think about like protecting your land, you think about like fences and you think about keeping people out and you think about natural disasters um, and different things like that. But he, here the image is that a little fox comes in and that little fox nibbles away at a vine slowly and, and at times undetectedly. Mm. Mm. And that is one of the threats that they look at and say, we need to get rid of these things. And so I... Well, so the idea would be, we could look at the vineyard analogy as like, oh, this vineyard represents, one, my current relationship with Christ, and then also Mm -hmm. like the potential I as a young person would have for marriage and and a wife and family and children and all that. Um, the idea is to protect it. Like the idea is to say, this is valuable enough to me that even though I'm not now experiencing it, I need to defend its future by not allowing those foxes and by not allowing things like pornography in or easy sexual relationships that might feel good in the moment, but don't ultimately last and lead to anything. Um, and then obviously are against God's will and heart. Exactly. And and seeing the destructive nature of those things is, is hard in the moment because sin always presents itself as really fun and pleasurable in the moment. It presents itself as something that you will genuinely enjoy and, and you will genuinely enjoy sin in that moment. Um, but it will come around to destroy the most meaningful thing, which is your relationship with God and uh, the way that you are able to represent God to the world around you. And so remembering the destructive power of these little things and, and and fighting step one out of step seven goes such a long way. You know, if, if you're just thinking, it's okay if I, I watch certain things, I think certain things, I look at certain people in certain ways, as long as I actually don't engage in, and even sometimes people, they'll engage in what they consider like minorly sexual activity, as long as things don't really progress. And it's like, if you give yourself all of that runway to let these little things come along and start spoiling the vine, then taking the leap from step six to step seven or whatever the numbering would end up being is way, way easier to do than it is if you just start cutting things off at step one. Right. And and the way that probably looks like is, and this is what I would always tell guys um, and, and girls, actually, because porn is a problem these days, not just with young men, but when yeah, we, it's across the yeah. board. Yeah. So I tell people like Instagram and Snapchat are not that important to life that if they're causing you to sin, that you shouldn't get rid of them. I mean, Jesus gives this gnarly example of mm-hmm. like, Hey, if your eye is causing you to sin, stab it out. Cause it's better for you to lose an eye than to lose your whole self in hell, you know? And I think he's talking about not just final destination hell, but the hell that we experience on earth by our own actions and sins, the, the misery that we bring ourselves. So, um, there are amazing filters that you can put on your phones and computers and all that. Um, I highly recommend that to people like get filters on your phone, you know, block out the things that, uh, are causing you to stumble, get accountability, find people that can help you be set apart. And then as far as like, you know, being at school or wherever college and having somebody approach you for sexual activity, again, this has never happened to me. So I don't, uh, I can't, uh, 
I can't really speak to it, but I can say that like, yeah, if you turn that down and make a stand for what's right, I mean, I, I maybe people might label you as a loser. I don't know, but I do know that in the long run, it's going to be so much better than just going down the easy road because, you know, the, the more sexual activity you have now um, and the, the less set apart you are, the more you're going to bring into your future and your marriage. And, and yeah, of course, there's forgiveness and healing, but it does. I mean, that kind of baggage from just talking to my friends who've experienced it, it's, it's a hard road to go down. Uh, and it's so much better to be set apart. The, the whole idea of being set apart is the idea of being holy. And that doesn't mean like being perfect. It just means being set aside um, to be wholly set aside for a purpose. And, and our purpose as Christians is to love God and follow him and serve him. And that implies that we care about the things that he cares about and the things that break his heart. So that's my that's my thoughts mm-hmm. on that. Should, should we say any more on that or should we move on to music, drugs and politics? I would just this is kind of a, a general thing, but. I would just add the idea that um, I love what you were bringing up, the idea that being set apart isn't just being, um, you know, against certain things or being separate from the world just for the sake of not doing worldly things, but being set apart to a different purpose. And we are set apart for an incredible, meaningful, wonderful relationship with God yeah. and remembering, remembering that it's not just, well, I have this, you know, and this will be across the board. Like I have this sexual desire or a, a musical desire or a watching a certain movie desire or whatever. It's not just, I resist those things because I do, but rather I resist these different things because I have this other incredibly more meaningful thing in my life. And that is my relationship with Jesus. Totally. So if, if I could move on to music, this is what I would say. And I'll try to sum it up very quickly. I grew up around some Bible teachers and uh, people at my private Christian school that I went to who kind of asserted that uh, there is holy music and there is unholy music. Um, there is you know righteous Christian music like Newsboys and Audio Adrenaline, and then there's satanic music like the Beatles. Um, and this can get pretty crazy. Uh, I remember one guy, um, we were making uh, a video for Bible class, and me and my best friend did a, uh, a David and Goliath video. And for some reason in the intro, we were middle schoolers, but for some reason we put uh, the song The Lion Sleeps Tonight, and uh, he failed us. And we were like, what the heck, man? And our teacher was like, yeah, uh, that's a secular song. And we were like, uh, there is no reference to sex. It's about a lion sleeping. And he was like, yeah, sorry, like only Christian music. And we were like, are you kidding me? And uh, he was, yeah, he was very stern on it. And we, we as middle schoolers, of course, were pushing the boundaries. So we were like, well, uh, what about happy birthday? Like, that's not a Christian song. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you're right. Guess I'm never singing happy birthday again. And we were like, oh, my gosh. So that's my story of how crazy we can go down this road of like trying to be set apart with music. But. What do you think, Brian? Where's the line? Well, I think of it kind of the way that I think of movies. Um, I I know very, very few people that exclusively watch Christian movies. Nobody. Almost nobody is exclusively watching Fireproof and War Room. (laughs) Like, everybody is at least okay with like Pixar or some Disney movies or different things like that. Um, So I, I personally, this is just me. I do not draw the line at if the band declares they are Christians, it is okay. And if the band does not declare that, it is not okay. I I listen to a fair amount of secular music. But I I am. You're not telling me anything new. Facts. Um, (laughs) But what I am thinking about is the messaging within the song and the overall theme. So like I, and again, this is just me. And maybe this is more personal preference, so this may not be the most helpful analogy, but like I don't watch horror movies, mostly just because I don't like them. But I also think if I just watch 90 minutes of a man murdering, <laughs> what what was the point? Like, what did I gain from this that was right. good, you know? Whereas if I watch um, something like a Star Wars or something like that, where two different sides are fighting it out and there's messaging around good and evil, there's messaging around 
uh, loyalty and leadership and bravery and, and all these different things, then I, I, if I can find something redeemable in it, then cool. Right. Um, so like one of the songs that I think about, I, I'm a big John Mayer fan. Um, and one of his songs is called in the oh, blood. So and it's good. Really it's him. So good. It's such a good song. And it's him asking how much of the brokenness I feel is just in my blood and will always be part of me. And how much of my brokenness can I rise yeah. above? Now, he he's not asking this question from a Christian perspective, like the, the ending chorus isn't. But the Holy Spirit will fill me and then I will be above <laughs> all these things like it doesn't do anything like that. But he expresses this heart longing that I completely feel that I look at my life sometimes and I'm like, man, maybe how much of this is just in me and I can't get rid of and how much of me can actually change. So it, it expresses a real feeling and it helps me yeah. process yeah, it's it. A poem. So it's not Christian, yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's a poem. You know, it's I want to go back to the thing you were talking about with the the, the movies, because I do think it mm -hmm. if if I'm honest, if I overanalyze kind of the the 90s Christian world that we came from, you know, that you and I grew up in, mm -hmm. I feel like there was different standards for music than there was for movies. Totally. Like you said, because think about it this way, like. I remember it was like if there was an artist and they put out a song that was dirty, it was like for Christians, it's like they're dead to us. First of all, if they're not Christians, we shouldn't be listening to them anyway. But if they put out, you know, an album or a song that had something bad in it, then it was just like, oh, you can't listen to anything they did. Um, and that's interesting to me because it's like, you know, let's say Kanye West has a song that is filthy. But then he has another song that is like totally fine and clean and great uh, and a good message. And, but I know a lot of Christians who'd be like, well, just you shouldn't be listening to him at all. But then like think about Robin Williams, like most of the 90s parents, the 90s, you know, Christian uh, parents that I grew up around would be fine taking their kids to see Robin Williams and Aladdin, even though Robin Williams has filthy stand up comedy routines that he's done. Mm -hmm. Do you get, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's like, we have this standard with music for some reason. And, um, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's weird. And I, I, I think, I think there's also weird double standards in music. Um, like I will be the first to say, I don't like rap music. It's really like, not for me. Like I, I'm not a fan. I don't enjoy it. Um, I just am not into it. However, I know a lot of Christians who, um, they just write off the whole genre as if, you know, because there is some rap that is dirty and misogynistic and all this stuff that like all rap is that way. And uh, I remember like mm -hmm. talking to uh, a group of older Christians and I was asking them, it was, a, it was an Instagram poll. And basically I was like, okay, so let's say, um, you know, there is one song that has a really heavy beat and kind of an aggressive sounding rap. But the message of the song is like, you know, there's no swearing and it's just like, love your neighborhood and, and take care of the people around you. But it just, it sounds very dark and aggressive. And then there's a country song that has like a very sweet melody and very cheerful, upbeat singing, you know, just classic American conservative music, but then the message is about like one night stand with a woman who's not your wife. And it's like, which song do you prefer? And like a lot of people were like, Oh, the country one, like, I don't want to listen to rap. And it's like, to me, I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like I, yeah. So yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm and, rambling and we can't let personal preference. Here. No, you're good. You're good. I, I, I like that illustration of sometimes we judge music based on the genre um, and the sound and the, the stereotypes yeah. around them. Exactly. And it's definitely not to say that there hasn't been rap that's filthy because there definitely has. But there have also been rock bands that are ridiculously filthy. And yet when Newsboys has basically the same lineup of your average four piece rock band, like we don't we don't sit there and say like, oh, well, they they have a lineup that's close to Aerosmith. <laughs> and like those guys did things in the past. Like we don't we don't make that kind of comparison. So I, I do think it really is like you're saying about digging into the specifics of that one artist, that one song, finding the real messaging within that. 
and then creating room for people that will slightly disagree because like you're saying you're you're giving room for people who just prefer rap yeah, music i think it's great and you're saying you're totally fine if, if you like my that, thing but like it. if it's your thing go i mean mm-hmm. i think it's great if if as long as it's not as long as it's not stumbling you that that's my main thing and that this goes mm-hmm. back to our episode we did on can christians watch sex scenes um this is kind of my perspective on being set apart in music I think everything is fair game as long as it's not hurting your relationship with the Lord or as, as long as you're not listening to things that are like blatantly glorifying evil, you know, that's my main thing. Like, you know, Eminem Mm -hmm. has songs about like chopping up, you know, his wife and putting her in the trunk of his car. And it's like, if, if that's what you're grooving to there, I sound so old. If, that, if that's what you're grooving to, <laughs> you hear new fangled music and hear your iPods. And, um, I'm sorry. You sound like someone who hates rap. <laughs> I do. Um, no, but like, uh, yeah, it just, to me, it's, it's more about like the music that we're listening to. I am not one that says all music that you listen to must glorify the Lord because that's just not how art works. Like if I'm an Mm -hmm. artist and I paint a picture of a cross and then let's say on another day I paint a picture of a sunset, like is one thing better than the other? I mean, obviously the cross is the best, but what I'm trying to say is like, is it wrong for me to paint a sunset? No, because as an artist, really what I'm doing is I am just capturing something that God, the original artist has already made. God is the one who made that sunset. So for me as a musician, if I write a song about Jesus, that's amazing. And we need songs about Jesus. But then if I just write a love song about what it's like to be in love, that's the same thing to me as painting a sunset. There's nothing like we have this whole idea of like a sacred secular divide where it's like, this is the good stuff and this is the bad stuff. And you really shouldn't be listening to the bad stuff to to me. Like what defines the stuff I shouldn't be listening to is the stuff that hurts my relationship with the Lord. The stuff that gets my thought process in a dark place you know, songs that blatantly objectify women and demean them, songs that are racist, like songs. To me, I don't want to listen to things that are against everything I stand for and believe in, but I can listen to Paul McCartney Mm -hmm. write a love song and there's nothing wrong with that in my view. Completely agreed. Do you want to move on to politics? Sure. Well, we, we should talk about drugs, but <clears throat> that's probably the easiest one. Okay. Don't do them. <laughs> yeah, just, Agreed. just say no to meth, guys. Um, be set apart in that. Um, oh, you know what? That That's a nuanced topic, though, because with weed and everything, that's that's the thing that's the thing there there is some episode to dive into there why don't you give a short a short version give us a short version of that sure yeah i i would generally say avoiding uh, let me start here god wants people to be sober-minded the reason he wants people to be sober-minded is because what does that mean so what does it mean to be sober-minded uh in control of your faculties able to think clearly um not Mm. held under the influence of any substance that alters your your mind or or brings it to something outside of the the relative standards of normal. I mean, that's that's so hard to define just because I'm thinking about like some people have mental illnesses where medications alter their mind state, but do it for the purpose of bringing them back to uh, a generally sober in control mind. So there's so many right. nuances it's there almost that I'm like skipping over. With, without the medication, they're in a state of basically kind of not being sober, if yes, that makes not sense. not in control of, of so who they like are mentally. The medic. The, the drugs for them actually bring them more to the center. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think with drugs, I think it's not really like God is like, here is a list of substances which are fine to ingest, and here are the ones that are bad and I hate them. I think what God doesn't like is when we, as Christians, lose control of ourselves um, and we become open more to the influence of Satan than we do to the influence of the Holy Spirit. And um, the Bible really clearly talks about drunkenness. It says, don't be mm-hmm. drunk. Um, it never really says like, hey, don't ever drink anything, but it does say don't be drunk. So that is the line that everybody has to kind of analyze. It's like, what does it mean 
to be intoxicated? What does it mean to be drunk? And uh, a lot of a lot of drugs like meth and heroin and lesser substances um, definitely put us in a place of not being in control. And uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think even um, to me, the question particularly bringing alcohol into the the conversation, but using it to be able to speak to drugs a little bit is what is your intention with that substance? Um, Because it is certainly possible to drink alcohol and not get drunk, but you may come to your first drink already planning your fifth, sixth and seventh. And if you're coming to the substance with the thought of this is going to bring me to an intoxicated state, then just that very mindset, I think, is is damaging your relationship with the Lord. Now, the reason the question I think is a little bit more clear cut when it comes to um, drugs is because like when you're talking about something like heroin, there really is no like pre high state with it. Like it just, it hits (laughs) right right away and it automatically brings you to a different mental state. Um, And and that's true with the majority of drugs. Um, I'm not educated enough to really dive into the nuances of each drug, but um, the command in scripture is clear. It's, it's don't let yourself get to that state because getting there, like you're saying, opens you up to influences of, of Satan and sinfulness and not, um, and doesn't keep you open to the influence of God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so like, how can a Christian be set apart from the world? And when it comes to drugs, I think it's just really important to keep in mind for everybody that being set apart, it means having a sense of, I want to know what are the things that God likes and what are the things that actually hurt him and hurt my relationship with him. And for all of us just to like, have a passion for holiness. Like we need a passion for holiness to say like, Hey, I, as a follower of Jesus, I care. I really do care about what it is that God wants for me. And that means if there's, you know, maybe you're listening to this and you enjoy some recreational drugs. Um, I would just encourage you to like really analyze your, your life situation and ask like, are, is this something that God has been trying to convict me about? And maybe I've been pushing it because it's just, it's so fun and I think I can control it and I can handle it. Um, and then for just everyone to have a lot of grace with one another in this area, because for me, like drugs has never been my struggle. Um, but you know, it has been, it's been overeating and, um, the Bible says that gluttony is a sin. And so whenever I would talk to young people who struggled with drug addiction, I would bring that up and be like, Hey man, like, I mean, for me, it's not weed, but it is Ben and Jerry sometimes. And, uh, Sometimes I eat a lot more pizza than I should. And I know I've reached a point where it's like, okay, I'm full. I don't need any more food, but then I just go for it. And that's not something that is good for my health, for my body that God has created for, um, you know, it's not being in a state of drunkenness, but it is being in a state of just, uh, not caring about, uh, the effects of things on my body. So, mm-hmm. uh, I can relate, you know, and I can say like, I just think it's an issue where, uh, we do need to draw a line, but then we need to show grace and just continue to point one another to like, you know, do better in that area. Um, you know, I have a lot of, you know, I just know a lot of young people struggle with drugs right now. So I have a lot of, uh, compassion for people dealing with that. And I just want to encourage them, like, you know, look at what the Bible does say about being sober minded, like Brian was saying, you know, definitely look at that and then ask God for help to be free of anything that's got its clutches on you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's touch on politics for a second. Brian, how can we be set apart from politics? Well, I think this is kind of an interesting one because I think you and I take slightly different views on this. Um, my view is that it's not that we need to be apolitical, um, but when I when I read this question and think about being set apart from the world when it comes to politics, I think about the, the rancor and division and hostility that seems to be included in so many political conversations. And I think that Christians can, and I don't know if should is the right term, but but definitely can wade into um, political conversations. And I think one of the biggest things that we need to keep in mind is that our political view should not be about the promotion of an individual nation, but the promotion of the kingdom of God. And that's not to Mm. say that we 
um, try to make the Ten Commandments the only ten laws that we have in America or anything like that, but that we stand behind policies that um, promote God's ethics on things, whether that be about human life or whether that be about sexuality or whether that be about um, hospitality and, and openness and uh, on all sorts of different things. I think that we can find biblical principles that we can embed into the way that we would want to see a nation run. And I think that this is one of the ways it's, it's by no means the most important, but it's one of the ways that Christians can be salt and light in a world that needs more of the uh, desire to long after Jesus. So that's kind of how I come at it. Yeah. And I I think in theory, I would agree with all that here. If I can just get like really practical, here's kind of where I'm coming from in a lot. I have very negative views about politics in general. I don't think politics are bad. Um, I think you can't escape them no matter what country you're in, no matter what time period you're in. Politics exists. They existed in Jesus's day. Um, scholars believe there was probably about 12 different uh, political parties in Israel at Jesus's time. So you, you can't get away from it. But here, here's my thing. I think the way I grew up as a Christian was I grew up conservative, you know, Republican, Christian. And in my mindset, the way I saw the world was Democrats are evil. They're bad people. They're all going to hell. There's no way that any of them could be a Christian. And they're out to destroy not just our country, but our world. That's kind of the worldview that was handed to me by not my parents. My parents are awesome. They never really talked about politics at home. Um, But just the people around me, that's that's the viewpoint I was handed. And what I've grown to realize as I've aged is, oh, my gosh, just as much as I know that there is a lot of bad stuff going on on the left, there is also a lot of bad stuff going on on the right. And to just take the viewpoint where it's like, yeah, like first Jesus made Israel and then he made America and then he made the Republicans. And now we've reached like the perfect situation and the, the right, the Republican party reflects all of God's heart and all of his character and all of his nature. And if you just believe what the Republican party says, then you are doing the work of God in Jesus. I just don't think that is accurate. And the, the way I see the place of the church is the Christian church is meant to be a prophetic witness. And what that means is that we represent Jesus and we represent the kingdom of God. And I just see so much hate right now between the left and the right. You go on any Facebook uh, debate and whether people are talking about healthcare or immigration or, you know, whether or not to take down statues of Confederate leaders or just whatever, it is just conversation after conversation of people hating one another and people ripping each other to shreds and calling each other idiots. And there's so much sarcasm and passive aggressiveness. So the, the, the place I see the Christian church is not to say, Oh, well, we're definitely with the left or, Oh no, we're absolutely, absolutely with the right. I see us not on one side or the other and not even like in the middle centrist. I see us like above it all looking down on it and saying, how can we be peacemakers in this? Like, how can we, in every situation, not do, do what Ben Shapiro does, where it's, I'm going to destroy people with facts and logic, but instead to say, in the middle of these debates, in the middle of these conversations, in the middle of these wars, these culture wars between different people and races and, and all this stuff, how can we say, hey, Jesus is better. Like, Jesus is the way. Like, (laughs) the right isn't going to fix your problems. Trump isn't going to fix your problems. Hillary isn't going to fix your problems. The left, Obama, like, none of them are going to fix the problems of the world. The only thing that can fix the problems of the world is Jesus. And so what I'm not saying is, like, every Christian should not vote or every Christian should just completely abstain from politics. That's, That's not what I'm saying. Uh, We live in a democracy. A lot of Christians are going to feel led to vote. They're going to feel led to participate in democracy. That's totally fine. That's great. What I'm saying is don't let it become your identity. Like, don't think of yourself as like, oh, I am a Christian first, Republican second. For most people who say that, they honestly, they, they think they see the world through the lens of Republican first a lot of times. Because sometimes the stuff that Jesus says sounds too liberal to them. And so instead of believing what Jesus says, they defer to what Fox News says. And I'll say the same thing about people on the other side. There are people out there on the left who they go to church and 
they are Christians, but they, when it comes to what Jesus says about things like sexuality or, you know, those sort of things, they will say, oh, well, what Jesus says isn't good enough. I'm going to reinterpret it by the lens of what I hear on the left. And so I'm just saying that politics shouldn't be our identity as Christians. We can participate, but we should have a separate identity that allows us to look at everything from a kingdom of God lens, if that makes sense. Completely 100% agree. Love everything that you're saying there. And I think one of the things that you said, um, there are conversations happening on Facebook between right and left. I thought that was very generous that you referred to those as conversations because (laughs) they're really just people being mad at each other. And to me, that's one of the ways that we can, as Christians, engage with politics and be set apart because the, the real thing that seems to be happening today is no one is listening. Everyone is talking. Everyone is shouting. Everyone is screaming for their way and no one is listening. And if Christians come into political conversations and say, okay, I am separate from left and right because I am with God and, and I am for God and I am behind God. And that is where I begin and end all of my conversations. So now let me hear from everybody and let me really make people feel like they are listened to and valued, not just for the sake of maybe we'll be able to figure out immigration if we do that, but for the sake of maybe people will be able to come to see that following God more than any of these other things that they follow is the best thing for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just really important for Christians when it comes to politics, do not just subscribe to a left or right side and say, this is my side. This is my team. Therefore, everything they say is what I believe. Um, Man, I was listening to Ed Stetzer uh, give an amazing uh, talk uh, or no, it was a podcast interview or a radio interview. And he was talking to some pastors and they asked him and they were like, hey, Ed, like, why is it that the people in our churches, when we're trying to teach them things, they will actually not listen to what we're saying. And instead they will go with either what Fox news or CNN says about an issue. Like, and they're talking about, you know, people in their church where they're trying to teach them about love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And then they see the people in their church on Facebook, just going crazy either on the left or the right. And I thought what Ed Stetzer said was really, really good and and really deep because he pointed out a really true reality. He says, um, yeah, you know what? You guys as pastors, you have the people in your church for an hour a week, maybe two. CNN and Fox has them 24 seven. And that is true. I know people who have their news, their secular news station on in the background of their office and their work and in their headphones and podcasts. 24 seven, and they are getting a worldview that is distinctly left or distinctly right. Of course, that is going to shape their worldview more than the scriptures, more than Jesus, if they're spending more time. And that's part of the reason why we started good line was because we wanted to create some noise on the airwaves. That is a distinctly kingdom of God worldview. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's all really, really good stuff to, to think through and try to live out. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, uh, there's a John Mark Comer clip. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll play it really quick because I think it's really good. I feel like if we're following Jesus well, both the left and the right will be angry with us. <laughs> Maybe that's just my own like psychosis. I don't know. But yeah, I think I grew up in a conservative culture, more on the right, and um, I can tell you everything that's wrong with it and everything that's right about it. Right. And uh, more, the older I got, the less it worked for me. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of my friends, then the pendulum goes to the other side and um, step out of that kind of a church expression into the progressive vision, which usually means stepping out of church because progressive theology can't seem to keep church around it. And so I would, with a lot of humility, argue that progressive theology kills church long-term. It kills faith long-term. It kills discipleship to Jesus long-term, especially if you don't even believe that the writings of the New Testament and the four Gospels are in any way, shape, or form authoritative if you're where, you know, Bell is or something like smart, thinking, well-written person. But who doesn't believe that the New Testament is Scripture, doesn't believe that to follow Jesus you need to um, live under the authority of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's a whole other world that I think takes you 
not only past church, I think it takes you past discipleship to Jesus. So what I'm fighting for, and maybe it's idealistic, but is a, a third a option C, mm. a kind of third way that transcends the liberal conservative divide that still takes the Bible. A lot of this has to do with how you read the Bible. Mm -hmm. That still takes the Bible very seriously as scripture, but also as literature and is open to hard conversations and to nuance and reading the Bible in context and all of that. But it's at the end of the day still really serious about following the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth and the claim that he is Lord. What John is saying in that clip that I totally agree with is if we are truly following Christ, we are not going to make the left or the right happy, if that makes sense. Like nobody is going to be fully on board with us if we're fully, truly following Christ. And and I deal with this all the time, and I'm sure you do, Brian. Like I, um, you know, I am pro-life. I do not think abortion is the best way to deal with a lot of these situations going on in our world and uh, I will you know, that's a that's a hill I'm willing to die on um, absolutely with love and respect to the women struggling in those situations but I just don't really think that you know 99% of the time I don't think it's right to take the life of a child ever so that gets me labeled you know fully in the you know conservative camp by some but then in other situations you know like i i remember talking to some christian friends of mine about the immigration thing and i'm not an immigration expert but my whole thing was like yeah like whatever happens like let's say we get a bunch of illegal immigrants in our country like our goal as the church is not to say like oh we need to hunt them down and lock them up and deport them like whatever the government government does that's that's their business but for us as the church like we need to be loving to these people we need to be open to them we need to be willing to forgive them and, and let them know like hey we want you to know jesus and for some people that labeled me, that got me put squarely in the liberal camp, which is not where I would consider myself at all. But that's just the reality, I think, of if we're truly living for the kingdom of God, we might end up getting labeled one thing or the other that we're not, and we have to be okay yeah, and, with that, And it's I important think. to see in that that neither of those positions you came to came out of a desire to balance left and right, but came out of a completely separate desire to follow God. And to get back at the heart of this question, how can we be set apart um, when it comes to politics and all of these other areas that we've discussed? It all begins with your motives in all things start and end with, I want to follow God. And if that is the beginning point, then it's just how do you live those different things out? And so um, being set apart in politics isn't finding the middle ground. It's finding kingdom ground and looking to advance from there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I would just say to end this, like, don't to, to end this segment on politics, just don't think of politics as the same way you do sports teams, because that's how a lot of people see it. And I, I'm not a sports guy. Brian, you're a sports guy, right? I am a sports guy. So would you say in sports, like there is a tendency sometimes with teams where when someone really loves a team, um, if and maybe you love certain players of that team because of what they do for the team, would you say there's a tendency for people, if they're reading the news and there's some scandal, you know, that comes up with one of the players on your team, to kind of like diminish and doubt the legitimacy of the accusations and to, you know, kind of hope against all hope that it's not true because you love your team. And then if the team that you hate, there's the same thing, you know, story about their star player coming out doing something bad. You're kind of almost like, oh, yeah, this is great, you know, because this is going to help my team. Like, would you I'm not saying you personally, but I'm just saying in sports, would you say that's to to a small extent? Yes. What what I think more hits at this is um, if, if I'm watching my football team play another football team and there is a borderline like pass interference call or maybe he fumbled, maybe he didn't, <laughs> I know that I will definitely see that play through the lens of what's better for my team and the opposing fans will definitely see that play through the lens of what's better for their team. Right. Um, that will definitely happen. But, but even one of the interesting things that I think we can learn from sports on this is fans are actually relatively good at admitting when their team was bad. 
<laughs> they're actually relatively good at, you know, just being upset that the game didn't go the way they wanted it to go and admitting it and owning it and looking to move on from there. You know, like I am a big New York Giants fan and I know that this season is not for them. Like I know that this is a rebuilding time and and so does basically every Giants fan. Yeah, there, there's just something to be said for that. Whereas I don't know if I've ever, I don't know what moment I can look back on and see a political party just kind of like owning like, yeah, you know what? They were better than us and that was cool and no big deal. And, you know, it, it's all good. And, and there, there's never seemingly any of that. It's just, you know, well, we're still the best and they're still ruining everything. Well, that, that, I mean, that just ruins my whole, my whole analogy. Um, but it's, it's crazy to think that sports fans who as someone who's not a sports guy, you know, I just, I view as kind of these crazy people sometimes. Um, they are, crazy that's still for, true. Right, you know, painting their faces and all that. Um, but to, to, it sounds like they're better behaved than political fans because a lot of times on these Facebook threads, I just see people screaming at one another. And then there's times where someone says something and then someone else is like, no way, like that's not true, prove it with facts. And then someone like does prove it with facts, like they post the fact. And then that person just doesn't respond. They just disappear because it's almost like we just don't want to believe any narrative that says the thing that we believe in is not true. And I would just say, like, why are we putting our faith in humans when we mm -hmm. can put our faith in Christ, who is always true? Like, I'm and not, not to completely ruin your analogy. That still happens in sports. And there are plenty of YouTube videos of people literally punching each other because they're wearing different <laughs> colored jerseys. And, th and that still happens. So you have a, a very real thing that you're hitting on there. That, um, okay. Jerry Seinfeld has a joke with sports teams that really you're rooting for laundry <laughs> because the people are always changing out. And like there could be a guy on your team that you were actively rooting against and hated last year. And now he's on your team. And so you're just hoping that your team's clothes beat the other team's clothes. And that I definitely see happening in politics sometimes where it's not about the individual players or the different things that they're bringing to the table. It's about, well, hey, they're the same color as me, like politically, not like racially. Um, well, maybe sometimes racially. Maybe sometimes, but maybe sometimes I was being more general than that and just thinking, you know, the political landscape of sometimes like, yeah, they're they're on my team. So therefore I am behind them, which I totally do with the New York Giants, but we should not do when it comes to political things. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole episode on this, but I just think in general, we need a lot more kindness and understanding and willingness, um, willingness for people to understand one another. That doesn't mean you have to agree, but I think just coming to a place where you can say, I understand this mm -hmm. person. And I just see right now in the political landscape, so many people are like, I just can't understand this side. I just, there's, they seem like aliens to me. I think the church needs to be the one leading in this. To be able to say like, you know, hey, let's say if I'm a conservative political person, to be able to sit down with somebody who's on the left and, and have a conversation with them where even though maybe we're not agreeing on things, I can respect their humanity and say like, hey, I understand where you're coming from, but here's why I don't end up where you end up. And mm -hmm. yeah, I just think yeah. you can't Christ understand what you don't listen to. Yeah, totally. So for, for Christians, we really need to... Um, I just see a lot of, I see a lot of conservative Christians, even pastors posting about people on the left as if they are the enemy, like as if they are Satan and the demons themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just think like, man, like how is the church, how is the conservative Christian side of the church ever going to reach anybody who is liberal if we hate them before we even go out and try to reach them? Mm -hmm. Like, are we setting ourselves up as Christians? where evangelism only works if we're going after unsaved conservatives. If that's the case, like that just doesn't seem like the gospel to me. I think we need to be people who anyone that we talk to can understand that we love them. Completely agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely.